Hey, thanks for joining us. You're listening to Living Fountains with Pastor Jim Stewart of Calvary Chapel, Kansas City. Today, our study is in the book of 2 Samuel. If you're in a place where you can grab your Bible and follow along with us, we invite you to do so. And if you'd like more information on Living Fountains or Calvary Chapel, Kansas City, you can visit our website at calvarychapelkc.com. Now, let's join Pastor Jim for today's study. We're getting started in uh, 2 Samuel this evening, so it's exciting. Really, just picking up the the storyline. We're not uh, distant from where we've been. We're just kind of picking up the the path right where we've been at. I guess the big question is, is really what what happened with Saul? Because uh, I remember the first time I read through this uh, many, many years ago and was reading along through the Bible and got to this part and, okay, Saul's gone and dead and that's that. And then you start reading the chapter one of, of 2 Samuel. And it's like, okay, so did something go different or is there a change in this? And it's good. It's good for us to think through and talk about. We'll work through that as best we can this evening, looking at uh, the conclusion of Saul's life. In verse 1 of uh, chapter 1 of 2 Samuel, it says, Now it came to pass after the death of Saul, when David had returned from the slaughter of the Malachites, and David had stayed two days in Ziklag. On the third day, behold, it happened that a man came from Saul's camp with his clothes torn and dust on his head. And so it was when he came to David that he fell to the ground, prostrated himself, and David said to him, Where have you come from? And so he said to him, I have escaped from the camp of Israel. And David said to him, How did the matter go? Please tell me. And he answered and said, The people have fled from the battle. Many of the people are fallen and dead. And Saul and Jonathan, his son, are dead also. So David said to the young man who told him, How do you know that Saul and Jonathan, his son, are dead? And the young man who told him said, as I happened by chance to be on Mount Gilboa, where there was Saul leaning on his spear, and indeed the chariots and horsemen followed hard after him. Now when he looked behind him, he saw me and called to me, and I answered, Here I am. And he said to me, Who are you? So I answered him, I am an Amalekite. And he said to me again, Please stand over me and kill me. For anguish has come upon me, but my life still remains in me. So I stood over him and killed him, because I was sure that he could not live after he had fallen. And I took the crown that was on his head and the bracelet that was on his arm, indications of his royalty, you know, this crown and his, his bracelet. I've brought them here to my Lord. Now, He's thinking David's going to be pretty excited about this information, one. He's thinking David's going to be pretty thrilled that he's brought the, the, the goods, the facts, with him. He's pretty excited about all this. He's brought this, this uh, seemingly to him. He thinks he's bringing this great news because David was seemingly an enemy with Saul, as we've been going through and watched that all play out. One, you know, the young guy doesn't really know altogether the character of David, but... Um, Obviously, he's come across Saul. He finds him, well, seemingly about to die, but not dead yet, uh, is really what we've, we kind of left it off like, well, gosh, he's, you know, thrown himself onto his, his spear, and he's just trying to die. He had taken an arrow, remember, and, and then he thought, oh, man, I'm just not dying yet, and I don't want these people to abuse me, so I'm just going to fall on my own spear because his other buddy wouldn't do him in, and so... You know, that was where, where we left it off. Evidently, he couldn't quite do himself in even. 
And so the Amalekite came along. We're going to back into that in just a minute. Let me finish. Uh, let's keep going for a minute. Therefore, David took hold of his own clothes and tore them. Again, I don't think this was the expected response from the young guy that brought all this stuff to him. I don't think that's what he was thinking was going to happen. And so did all the men who were with him. Think about it. All these guys have been, 600 men, have been on the run from Saul for years and been just harassed and all this stuff has gone on. And now all of a sudden, this is going on. And, and it was, everybody in the general region knew about this issue between Saul and David. They mourned and wept and fasted until evening for Saul and for Jonathan his son and for the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel because they had fallen by the sword. Then David said to the young man who told him, Where are you from? And he answered, I am the son of an alien and Amalekite. And so David said to him, How was it you were not afraid to put forth your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? And think, you gotta go, we got to go back and remember the nature, you know, the character of David as a person and how he handled himself. Remember, he wasn't going to stretch out his hand, and he had opportunity time and again to stretch out his own hand, who Saul acted as an enemy toward him, remember? But he, did, he wasn't willing to do this, and so his question to this, this guy is, dude, are you kidding me? What, what, what made you think that that was okay to do what you did? And David called one of the young men and said, go near and execute him. And he struck him, and he died, so he died. So David just killed this, this guy who brought this information to him. David's upset about the whole thing. So David said to him, Your blood is on your own head, for your own mouth has testified against you, saying, I have killed the Lord's anointed. You know, he, he acknowledged that he killed the king. And, and so David just felt like that was the right thing to do. In a minute, we'll get in through and, and read a little bit of this, uh, basically, lamentation or a song that, that David had written regarding uh, the loss of Saul and, and Jonathan. It seemed like Saul had done himself in, and now all of a sudden we find out, no, maybe Saul didn't quite kill himself, and so now this other guy, this Amalekite. The, the thing is, is when we go back to uh, chapter 15 of uh, 1 Samuel, and we can see what really took place, 1 Samuel chapter 15, you remember Samuel is uh, interacting with Saul and uh, trying to figure out what, what's going on you know, what's this I hear, the bleeding of the sheep, and what, what's happening? What, there's sacrifice going on. What do you, what, what's happening here? And in verse 17, we pick it up, and he says, So Samuel said, When you were little in your own eyes, were you not head of the tribes of Israel? You know, when you were humble and, and had a right perspective, and did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Now the Lord has sent you on a mission and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. He said, remember that this was the arrangement. I want you to go. Ab it, now, those are clear instructions. Utterly destroy are pretty clear destructions to me. Instructions and destruction. Um, but he's completely to obliterate them, just completely wipe them off the face of the earth, right? That, that's what the instruction was to go do. And we talk about this, and we touched on it before, but I want to go back and spend a little time because this is, this is very significant for all of us in our lives today and where we live. It seems like he's gotten rid of most of them. Obviously, he spared one as we read on. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? This is the question, you know, Samuel in verse 19. This is what Samuel's asking Saul. Why did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil? 
and do evil in the sight of the Lord. Why did you take all this stuff? You were supposed to wipe all this stuff out and be done with it and move on. He doesn't do that. He takes matters into his own hands. He makes all his own decisions about it. He doesn't really follow the instruction of the Lord. And so Saul said to Samuel, but I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. He said, I did go. I, I went on the mission. I, I, I did go. And then he says, and brought back Agag, king of Amalek. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. He's saying that he, he did do all that. Obviously, this ruler, you know, Agag, must have obviously gotten loose a bit because we're finding more Amalekites around now. So whatever he did wipe out, he didn't get rid of everything. He kept Agag. Agag must have gotten loose and procreated a bit around a little. This is, this is one good possibility um, because we're finding that all of a sudden they're battling with some other Amalekites at the end of uh, 1 Samuel, right? There was battle with some of them. And now there's one of them has ultimately thrust Saul through. And so Saul's not really being totally clear about this, but the people took the plunder, again, it's everybody else's fault, took the plunder, sheep and oxen, the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. It's interesting, he doesn't say the Lord our God, does he? The Lord your God. He's, he's, it's just, he's got some interesting things that he kind of says in there, I think. So Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices. He says, is that what this is really all about? You just doing things for God? Is that really what this is all about? Is that, is that really what God's intent is to get you to do things in that way? Is it about burnt offerings? Is it about sacrifices? As in obeying, he says, the voice of the Lord. Isn't that really the key? Doing what God gives us the instructions to do. And then Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. And he goes on and he says, basically, he gives them the flip side in verse 23 now. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft or divination. He says, and stubbornness is as iniquity or sin and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. And Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and, and your words because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Obviously, to me, you know, clearly for all of us, this is all just an excuse, which is really what it just goes on to. These excuses of why we didn't do or he didn't do, or there was just these excuses of why I didn't do what God said to do, why I didn't follow the instructions. One of the things, what makes this, there's many things that make this significant, but one of the things that make this a significant story is I don't find it uncommon to have um, discussions with, with other believers at various stages in their journeys, and I think it's legit, it happens. Sometimes we do have legit wilderness times where it's just a little bit quiet. It's a little bit of just a struggle. It's, a, it's just, just wilderness, there's legitimate wilderness wanderings, but it's not meant to be a lifetime for the believer. The wilderness wandering is not meant to be your whole Christian experience. There is a portion of your Christian experience where you come to the Lord, you are start following God, and you're doing as the Lord's tell you, telling you, and then all of a sudden it gets more challenging and more challenging, and sometimes we make mistakes and God's revealing himself to us, proving himself to us. While we're in these wilderness times, he's faithful to us, but eventually we're going to get to the Jordan, and it's time to live the life in the Spirit. 
and were to cross over the Jordan. Not stay on the other side, but cross over the Jordan and experience the fullness of what God has for us as Christians. And so I think that's, that's the legitimate journey. But a lot of times people will express, well, I'm just in this really dry season. I'm not hearing from the Lord. These are the kind of things that kind of start popping up. If you find yourself in that spot, the best, best advice I've ever gotten and I've ever passed on is that did you do what you last heard from the Lord? Are you doing what God, whatever God spoke to your heart before from his word, whatever God spoke to your heart before, are you doing that? Because the thing is, is why is God going to give you further instruction or more insight when you aren't doing the thing that you just, this is why obedience is so important to God's word and to hearing the voice of the Lord and responding to God is because we really cause ourselves to be stymied or stuck in a rut or unable to progress. It's, God doesn't have a problem. God's got no problems. You know, the only thing that can hold the, us back is ourselves in that way because we interfere in the process because we're not just simply doing whatever the Lord spoke to us, our hearts about. And usually it's really not complicated. Did you find those instructions to be complicated? Now, going engaging in the warfare is, is warfare, right? It's not going to be easy in, in the battle and all that. I understand that. But the general instruction that was given, go and utterly destroy the Amalekites. Well, there's not a lot of ways you can slice and dice that. It's pretty direct. It's pretty straightforward. I think the Lord speaks to us. I don't think God talks to you in code. Oh, hey, go decode this. And then once you decode this, then maybe you'll understand. What I, and you probably won't do the right thing. And, and oh, God's just like some sadistic freak. I don't think so. I don't think God's trying to trick you or trick me to, oh, go run over here and waste some time and do that. And then, and then you know, I'll get a good laugh out of that. And then, I mean, I wonder sometimes about our responses when we go through the word, when it's straightforward and clear to us. I wonder about our responses if it doesn't seem like maybe we're thinking that way a little bit. Like that God doesn't just simply say what he means and means what he says, you know? He's pretty he's straightforward. And, and it's not smoke and mirrors. It's not, we get it complicated. God's God. And he's obviously knows we are who we are. And so he's wanting to tell us straight. The, the issue that happened was he, he didn't respond. He didn't do the things that he was supposed to do. And now everything just kind of goes silent. You know, and the same thing happens to us. We, we wonder, well, I'm not hearing from the Lord. Well, you know, it's not, is it that God's not speaking? Or is it that our hearts are becoming dull because we're not doing what he's saying anyway? We're not going to hear any. Why would God tell you more, give you and I more instruction when we didn't do A? Why would you be told to do EFG? You know? So it's kind of, I really encourage all of us, you know, I, I spend time, you know, if I start hitting any kind of a dry spot, I start thinking, hmm, okay. What, what am I missing here? What, what didn't I do or what should I have done or what's going on that I'm in that kind of a funk mode? You know, what got me to that spot? And Lord, is it, and sometimes that can be a trial in and of itself. It doesn't mean that God doesn't love us. It doesn't mean that God's not for us. It doesn't mean that God doesn't want to use us. If we are ambassadors for Christ, which is what Paul declares that we are as Christians, if we're ambassadors for Christ, Christ. An ambassador doesn't go to a foreign land and represent himself, does he? An ambassador clearly is representing another nation, another people group, right? 
An ambassador goes to a foreign nation to represent, and we're called as ambassadors to this world, as Christians. We're ambassadors. We're representing something. Now, if we're representing another kingdom, and the king of that kingdom is saying, hey, I need you to go do this and take care of that and you know, interact with those people or do this, but we say, no, no, I'm going to go over here, and I'm going to go do this. Well, what type of relationship do we have as an ambassador? We're really just self-promoters, really, then. We're just there for our own deal, and we're doing our own thing, and, you know, we're really not doing what God's purpose would might maybe be. And so I think that I'm giving you just a snippet of the significance of obedience. There's just, it's so much in the Bible, and it's not that we don't fail or falter in things. I understand that because we all do. And God is gracious and merciful, but God knows our hearts. Do we really want to even do what he wants to do? This is why, see, rebellion is a direct choice to do that which was not what you were told to do. It's 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 a direct disobedience. You know, it's not, there's a difference. Please take out the trash. And they walk out the front door, and that's that you're clear that they heard you. You know, there's no question about that. That's direct disobedience, right? I mean, that's, there's no, that's rebellion. There's no, there's no other way to cut that up. That's just simple. It's not complicated. Well, this is what we have here. You know, Saul was asked to do something by the Lord. He chose to do his own thing while on the mission, right? He did go on the mission. Hey, high five. He did do that much, right? But while on the mission, he chose to do his own thing instead of God's thing. That's why whenever we're interacting about certain things, I'm I'm kind of um, very clear about uh, it's important not to have just our own agenda. We want to be connected to whatever God's agenda is in matters. God, what do you want me to do with this situation so that, because we are agenda-driven people. That everybody's got a purpose and, you know, we're, we have an agenda, but what is our agenda? Is our agenda to do God's thing or is our agenda to do our thing and try and make it God's thing? Because we can do what we like to do and try and make it. I think Saul's a perfect example in this. What's really the blockage? What really is the issue and what really was God using as an example? Because in types, in, in the study of typology and types, we know that the Amalekites represented a type of the flesh, the flesh life. So I think it's worth just, we're going to go over a couple of scriptures just to look at what was that like. We're seeing this picture painted for us in the Old Testament of what happened. Because what ultimately destroyed Saul? Who was it? Who was it that ultimately thrust him? He tried to kill himself, but what ultimately killed him? What ultimately came along and killed him? An Amalekite. So ultimately, that which he was unwilling to deal with himself that God told him to take care of, that which he was unwilling to deal with himself, a type of the flesh, because he was unwilling to deal with that, it ultimately dealt with him, didn't it? That which he wouldn't take care of himself ultimately killed him. I believe that's a consistent theme throughout the scripture. It's not, this is not anything I'm telling you. This is none of this is brand new. This is all, you know, been in the word for a long time. Hopefully we're just kind of going to peel it back one more time. There's, I don't think, and those of you who are familiar with some of this, I don't think this is, for me, it's never a bad reminder to be going back through and remembering the significance of this. 
Man, because we battle with it, we battle with it. We battle. Isn't it just like when you just feel like, oh, I finally dealt with that. God, finally help me, and I'm not struggling with that. But that, these other things come up. These other struggles, these other issues happen, you know? If you're looking and believing that you're gonna hit sinless perfection, please go splash cold water all over yourself and just come back to us, you know? Because, I mean, you don't ever get to that point. The battle rages on. That's why we get together in grace, knowing that God has been so gracious to us because he loves us, he forgives us. We can always come to him and, and bring our, our, our issues to him. And he's, he's just a loving father that cares for us and, and, and wants to love on us. And it's all good in that sense. But there are still consequences if we are in rebellion. Your salvation is not at risk in this discussion. Generally speaking, that's not what's at risk. But what is at risk is whether you are really that, that, that vessel that God can really use or whether you end up maybe just shelved. That, that's really what matters. You, your everlasting life was a free gift to us, right? So this isn't a discussion about your everlasting life necessarily. I suppose ultimate rebellion, if you turn your back on God and just completely ultimately rebel, I suppose that could go into question at some point. But in this, that isn't the theme of the thought here. The thought is, is that, man, I want to be used by the Lord. Am I doing those things that put me in a place to be able to be used by the Lord? Am I making decisions? Am I, I following God's course and track on doing things that are going to be pleasing to him? Because the battle is constant. It never ends. We never really arrive in that place where, well, ultimately, I guess we go, we leave this body, leave this fleshly tent, and we go be with the Lord. Glory, glory. That battle's over. And that's awesome. That is the time when that battle's done. Between now and then, it's going to be an ongoing struggle. You know, so it's better to learn how to deal with it. I love the way um, the Bible tells us to deal with it. Let's turn to John, John's account real quick. John chapter uh, 6. Right, the latter part of chapter 6 of John's account. John 6, 63. Simple little thing tucked away in here that Jesus said that's kind of ties right, right in there for us. It is the Spirit, Jesus said, who gives life. I love this. It is the Spirit who gives life. But this next little portion says, the flesh profits nothing. The words Jesus says that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. This is Pastor Jim. You know, in, in the book of Acts, we learned a great little story. And I think about it sometimes when we wrap up a, a message like we did today and, and how there's just a, a response that kind of stirs in us when we hear God's word. You know, there was a, a guy that was a, a, a Philippian jailer. He was, a, a you know, just a jail guard. And he realized that the people that he was interacting with uh, were worshiping God and uh, connected with God. And his response when he interacted with these guys, he says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? 
And they said to him, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. You know, God's got a plan and a purpose not only for you, but for your family, for your household, for your friends. But it begins with you giving your life to Jesus and getting right with God. Maybe you've gone to church. Maybe you've gone to church your whole life but never given your life to Jesus. Maybe you did give your life to Jesus, but you're not walking with him. Either way, maybe this is the first time you've ever heard the gospel message, the good news, that God loves you and and has a purpose and plan for your life. Anyway, God loves you, and it's a simple prayer of faith, and it doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done. God will forgive you of your sin if you will confess your sin. He will be faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Let's pray that prayer right now. Jesus, I want to ask that you'd forgive me of all my sin, that you'd come into my heart and make my heart your home. I want to receive you as my personal Lord and Savior. Thank you, Lord, for loving me. Thank you for everlasting life. And fill me with your Holy Spirit that my life might please you. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed and received the Lord into your heart today, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us or another Bible teaching church in your area so you may be encouraged in your new journey. If you'd like more information about Living Fountains or Calvary Chapel, Kansas City, simply visit our website at calvarychapelkc.com. If you're in the Kansas City area and you'd like to join us for worship, we meet in Overland Park on Sunday mornings. The service times and directions can be found at calvarychapelkc.com. It's been great spending time with you today in God's Word, and we look forward to you joining us next time on Living Fountains.